Oddball is made possible by supporters of WJCT Public Media, with additional support from Bold Bean Coffee Roasters. While this podcast might be a mystery, Bold Bean's coffee isn't. Ethically sourced bags of beans are roasted to highlight their origin, characteristics, and natural sweetness. So when you order that latte, you're supporting transparency and quality at every step of the coffee chain. Bold Bean, sourcing, roasting, brewing, and serving outstanding coffee. From WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville, this is episode four of Oddball. I'm Lindsay Kilbride. The ball rolled from the center of the table all the way to the edge and stopped. About the best description is that it's a giant After a while, people will say you're crazy or this or that, but she is not. It's a common industrial steel, and it's probably not likely to be something that aliens would use. This is definitely the type of area that inspires paranormal thinking and supernatural stuff. Heineck reached out. He wanted them to come to Chicago, and because they were unable to fly with the sphere, um, she said, no, you, you know, if you want to see the sphere, you're going to have to come to us. I've mentioned quite a few times now, the Navy investigated the ball and tried to figure out what it was. Jerry Betts allowed them to take the ball under the condition it's to be returned in no later than two weeks if it's not government property. A Navy spokesman initially told reporters there's certainly something weird about the ball, but when he ended up returning it to the Betts family, seemed pretty uninterested. He said it was made out of stainless steel and from Earth, although the Navy couldn't figure out exactly where it came from or what it would have been used for. They wanted to cut the ball open, but Jerry said no. There's also Jerry's claim the Navy tried to take the ball back when returning it to the Betts' home, which doesn't really line up with the officer's nonchalant attitude about the ball to reporters. But this probe, although the most official being the government, wasn't even close to the end of inquiry into the sphere's origin. So what did others find? And is it possible the Navy was wrong or not truthful? Early on, Jerry told reporters a UFO research group came to Florida to examine the ball. Who have you talked to so far? Well, we talked to a group of people called NICAP, NICAP, I think is the way Jerry is talking about NICAP, an acronym for the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. Jerry Clark, that UFO expert who wrote the encyclopedia. Which is kind of considered the definitive reference work on the subject. He wrote quite a bit about NICAP, a citizen-led UFO research group whose members ranged from scientists to clergymen. It was founded in the mid-50s, and Clark described the group as a sober and responsible forum for UFO investigation. In other words, members distanced themselves from the more fringe UFO claims, like abduction. And they came out and examined the ball, and they said it was very precision-made. It had uh, a magnetic pole on it. This is kind of hard to understand, but luckily, NICAP published its findings in the May 74 edition of its monthly newsletter, The UFO Investigator, headlined Mysterious Steel Sphere Explained. Many details in this report aren't new to me because they'd already been reported in newspapers, so very quickly on those. The ball was x-rayed at Cecil Field Navy Station, but the machine used wasn't powerful enough to penetrate the sphere, so it was taken to another station in Jacksonville for the more powerful x-ray, which was successful. 
The sphere was very beat up, like it had been rolled on concrete, and had a small triangular chip out of the side. The ball was magnetic and perfectly balanced. The investigation was led by a mechanical engineer, and he ended up agreeing with the popular theory it was probably part of a valve used in machines at the paper plant. The plant's spokesman had said balls, just like the Betzes, had been discarded from the plant 15 years before, and they could have ended up anywhere, including the Betzes' property, I guess. The report concluded the ball's odd rolling was due to uneven floors at the Betz's house, attributing that theory to the Navy's spokesman. A lot of the NICAP report credits the Navy's findings, but with much more detail than what I had seen in news reports. The actual Navy report is nowhere to be found. I submitted numerous public records requests to government agencies and archival departments, and they were unable to find anything. So right now, this is the best I've got. Here's what's new to me. In addition to an x-ray taken by a more powerful machine, an emission spectrographic analysis identified the material of the sphere to be stainless steel 431. So now we know the methods they used, but not a lot about how they work. Luckily, Florida State University geochemistry professor Munir Humayun does. My expertise is in the study of extraterrestrial materials, particularly in metals from extraterrestrial materials in their analysis. He told me this type of analysis is a way of determining the chemical composition of an object. So for this ball, it would have analyzed the exterior and revealed, okay, this is stainless steel. I also wanted to know more about these magnetic poles referenced in articles, which either describe the ball as having three or four of them. Um, some of it, it would have picked up when you melted the sphere and, and formed it because it would form in the Earth's magnetic field. And so it will carry a little bit of a memory of the Earth's magnetic field. But if it's exposed to anything, um, this is a real problem for us when we study magnetic fields and say iron meteorites. People who want to check whether they are truly iron attach a magnet to them. And every t time somebody puts a magnet on a piece of metal, it acquires a little bit of that magnetic field. I bet somebody walked up to it and stuck a magnet on it. <laughs> so in other words, multiple magnetic fields means it could have just been touched by magnets. The report goes on to say the x-ray determined the sphere to be uniformly hollow with three little balls inside, an eighth of an inch and two of them even tinier. Spherical specks, really. The report says there was also a small amount of powdered residue inside, possibly sand, the scientist speculates. Then the Navy took an ultrasonic measurement, which Humayun says bounces high-frequency waves into the ball. That would tell scientists the thickness of the ball's shell, about a half inch. And the report gives more exact measurements of the ball. The diameter, 7.9 inches. The weight, 21.3 pounds. It says the ball also had a plug welded into the side, a fourth of an inch wide, ground off and polished. But I have to say, some parts of this report just make me question how well the writer or investigator knew the story. On one hand, Jerry does characterize NICAP's work as an investigation. But the way the report is written, it makes me wonder, did they even touch the ball or just cite the Navy? All the conclusions are based on the Navy's findings. And the first paragraph says the ball was found in the Betz's backyard, but it was actually found on property miles from the home. It also spells Jerry's name wrong. A lot of articles have these errors, but this person supposedly did an investigation. Just seems kind of weird to me.
Then there's this so-called researcher, Carl Williston or Wilson. I'm not sure because it's spelled differently in various articles, and I can find absolutely no record of him or his Omega Minus One research firm he supposedly worked for. I even ran his name and firm by Jerry Clark. Do you know someone by the name of Carl Wilson or Williston from the Omega Minus One Institute out of Baton Rouge? Do you, does that ring a bell of something that existed? No. And he knows a lot of people in the UFO research community. I'm going to go out on a limb and say most. But in early news stories, Jerry Betts says this guy, Carl, came to Florida and examined the ball for six hours. I found radio waves coming from it and a magnetic field around it. Nope, didn't find him. That's an actor. I was unable to determine a pattern in the sphere's movement. There's also this 2012 blog write-up online which says Wilson suggested... The metal that made up the shell of the orb contained an unknown element, making it slightly different than stainless steel. But I could not find the source of that anywhere. I also messaged the writer on Twitter. Did not hear back. So Carl... Yes? Sorry, but I have to take your findings with a grain of salt because I don't know if you're real. So I'm going to set this one aside for now. Around this time, remember all these investigations happened within days or a week of each other in April of 1974? The ball was taken to New Orleans, where the National Enquirer's five-member Blue Ribbon UFO panel of scientists investigated the sphere. An astronomer, a civil engineer, philosophy professor, a plant physiologist, and psychologist Leo Sprinkle, who remembers nothing. It's a beautiful case, and I'm sorry that I can't contribute anything to it. And unfortunately, there are very few Betsphere-related articles published after the panel looked at it, like no one big report outlining the panel's findings or what members did to the ball. The best I've got is an Associated Press article published one day after the panel. Five scientists intently watched a mysterious sphere for several hours Saturday, but it refused to perform. One scientist, James Harder, said they hadn't been able to establish any unusual movements, and he'd like to cut it open. His colleague, Robert Cregan, said it may have come from Cape Canaveral. I'm not sure what to make out of all this, other than it doesn't seem like the ball was remarkable. But another colleague, J. Allen Hynek, the astronomer and eventually... The most famous UFO proponent in the world. The same guy who allegedly brought the ball into his bedroom... He appeared on a Seattle radio show a day after returning from the New Orleans conference. This is before he allegedly visited the ball at the Betts home. And I have the tape. Uh, Professor Hynek returned yesterday from New Orleans after sharing observations with colleagues regarding the so-called mystery sphere. Uh, That sphere discovered a few weeks past by Terry Matthews uh, near Jacksonville, Florida. Let me ask you first, uh, Professor um, Hynek, uh, uh, about your latest uh, evaluations of the sphere. Do you consider this now extraterrestrial or Earth-manufactured? No, there's no evidence whatsoever that uh, neither I nor the other members of the UFO panel can uh, find that would indicate that it is extraterrestrial. That doesn't, of course, absolutely prove it isn't, but there is no obvious evidence, such as, for instance, if it had come in from outer space, and I undoubtedly would have had some sort of ablation or burn marks on it, and it seems like a perfectly normal metal sphere. I see. Uh, if, if, that, uh, if that is true, then why hasn't uh, someone stepped forward to, uh, to make claim? 
Well, I wonder that very same thing. And uh, do you have any theories about that? Uh, well, no. I'm 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 very much wondering why it seems to me that if it were uh, perfectly normal and natural, that somebody surely would have said, "Well, I've got one like that in my garage," or "Our our company makes two of those a week," or something like that. We, of course, know now those exact things did happen. A woman said she had a ball like the Betzes in her garage, and the paper plant said the ball was likely part of one of its machines. Yes, uh, Professor Heineck, when I left uh, the story on uh, Saturday, uh, I was told that uh, the, the sphere was considered solid. However, uh, three balls on the inside, I believe they were called balls, uh, were, were believed to be there, and that they were embedded... Um, uh, in the material. What's uh, the latest on that? Well, the thing is definitely not hollow, uh, at least not largely hollow. There must be some spaces in it because when you shake it, uh, something inside definitely rattles. But the x-ray show indicates that... Uh, some of that tape is breaking up, but I need to stop here because Heineck is saying while the ball isn't solid stainless steel, that would make it way too heavy and dense, he doesn't think it's largely hollow. In an article that day, he also said the x-ray shows the little pellets inside are possibly suspended in liquid. But the Navy said it was hollow, aside from the tiny balls inside. And remember, Heineck is a real scientist. At this point, he's directing Northwestern University's Astronomical Research Center and chairing the astronomy department. So can this really be up for debate, whether the ball is or isn't hollow? Could the Navy be wrong? I think based on this image, you really can't tell. Dr. Diane Johnson is a diagnostic radiologist at Memorial Hospital in Jacksonville, and she spends a lot of time looking at scans, mostly of humans. Mammograms, CT scans, ultrasounds, plain x-rays, and MRI exams. Heineck's logic behind questioning whether the Bet sphere is largely hollow is the way the X-ray looks. So I sent Dr. Johnson a copy. Now, this copy has been published by the Ancient Aliens TV show and the Astonishing Legends podcast, so want to give them credit. And it looks like this. A light gray circle with hazy edges and three little balls inside are much darker than their surroundings. Two look like perfect spheres, and the other looks like it's been squashed or something. Heineck says since there's no clear distinction between the shell and whatever is inside, there must be something in there other than air. It's probably a photograph of a copy of an x-ray is my best guess. My first impression is that it clearly looks old. So old in, in, in such that it's a, an old picture, but also old in that it looks like it's old technology to have obtained that image. And she said it's true. From this picture alone, you can't tell if the ball is hollow. It's a sphere, so you're taking a two-dimensional image of a three-dimensional structure, and that's going to make it a little bit difficult to see the, um, the outer shell interface with the inner substance, presumably air if it's hollow. And the other factor is the resolution of the image itself. It's just not good enough to be able to see that interface. And if the shell around the outside is very thin, you wouldn't necessarily see it anyway. Um, basically, with x-rays, we're looking at differences in density. But her best guess? It's very likely hollow. That would be my, my opinion. Because ultrasonic measurements did establish a wall thickness. And when you shake it, you can hear the little balls rattling around. I went ahead and asked Professor Humayun the same thing. We don't know what else is inside of it. Yeah, it could be anything. 
except something like liquid mercury, which would show up on the x-ray for sure, he said. Of course, scientists in 1974 probably had the actual x-rays, not a washed-out photocopy. But we don't know for sure what's in the ball. And I want to point out in later articles, Hynek changes his opinion and says the ball is hollow, along with his colleagues on the UFO panel. Now back to Hynek. Uh, uh, Professor Hynek, given that it's man-made, how, how do we account here for uh, the, the orbiting of, of the sphere? Well, I think we account for that largely as uh, uh, a little bit of wishful thinking. Uh, certainly it did not behave that way when... Uh, my colleagues and I examined it. I had to keep it from rolling off the table several times. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't understand. In other words, it, it did move, but it did not orbit. Did it move of its own accord? No, no. It only moved when you moved it yourself. And, of course, one thing it does, since it is fairly heavy as it moves along, uh, unbalances the table. It presses down a little bit and uh, might seem, if the table weren't completely level, uh, it might seem to be moving by itself. But uh, that is not the part that intrigues me. Would you tell me what part does? Well, the the fact that several witnesses have said that when the dog was brought near it to be photographed along with the dog rolled over and put its paws over its ears as though a sound was coming out, not audible to our ears, but audible to a dog's ears. So Heineck doesn't seem too impressed with the ball. He believes it's from Earth. But he is still interested in it. He's interested in the claim that the Betz's dog, a little toy poodle, would whimper and cover her ears around the sphere. That's also what the FSU geochemistry professor told me he was most interested in. Heineck goes on to say the ball should be coming to Northwestern, where he works, in about a week, and he had several tests planned. But the ball never made it up there. The Betz family says Heineck instead came to their house. He wanted them to come to Chicago. Um, she said, no, you, you know, if you want to see this sphere, you're going to have to come to us. So he came. Reminder, that's Nan, the magazine editor, who recently had a phone call with Jerry. But this is so confusing for me because Heineck doesn't seem to back that up publicly, or at least he didn't seven months later when interviewed in an Indiana newspaper. In this story, Jerry Betts is quoted saying, the tests run thus far indicate the ball is probably man-made. So she agrees with the Navy on that, but she still wants to know what it is. Her son, Terry, who found the ball is quoted saying, the state of Florida is trying to claim it. First, I have heard of this, but I am 100% totally desensitized to all of these more outrageous allegations at this point. Anyway, then there's Heineck's interview. He said he examined the thing just one time at the New Orleans UFO conference. We just heard his interview about that. Afterward, the family did not send the ball to him, so he lost all interest in it. He actually seems kind of annoyed in this article. He said he wasn't able to spend enough time with the ball, but doubled down, it is man-made. He added he would examine the sphere if it was sent to him. The story says the ball had not been cut open because the Betzes want Heineck to examine it first. And I really love this part of the article. Okay, so stay stay with me here. Heineck is quoted saying he wants to be there when it happens, when the ball is cut open, saying it could go like this. Doctor, hand me the cutting torch. Stand back, everyone. I really don't know what will happen. The ball is open. A little orange man, about six inches tall, steps out, looks around, and says, 
Dwarfy Snow Gang awesome. Translation Smile, you're on candid camera. I'm not kidding. This imaginary scene Heineck dreamt up is printed in the newspaper article. But while Heineck was joking about an extraterrestrial explanation, another scientist wasn't after the break. Oddball is made possible by supporters of WJCT Public Media, with additional support from Bold Bean Coffee Roasters. Bold Bean created a special Oddball coffee blend to be enjoyed with this podcast, and who better to taste it with than our station's top coffee snob, Heather, who produces our talk shows. I'm from Miami, so I basically grew up drinking coffee, decaf, when I was little. But I like really strong coffee, and I prefer espresso style to drip style. And I can do all kinds of fancy things with my milk. At, I make get coffee at home every morning. Like mm. when we were looking at houses, I was like, I need to live near an independent coffee shop. And our realtor took us to the Bold Bean on the beach. And I pretty much lived there when I first moved up here. So you wanted some coffee culture in Coffee your new culture home. in okay. new home. Yep. So. All right. Well, do a little pour. <laughs> Sit with it. Sniff it. Okay. Can I taste it now? Have a taste. It's good. I like it. Are you picking up any specific notes? Picking up a little bit of floral or fruitiness. Okay, yeah. It's smooth. Like, it's not too acidic. Would you drink this? Yeah, so I don't usually drink black coffee, Mm -hmm. but this is, the flavor is nice enough that I could drink it just straight up without milk or sugar. Everyone should probably buy a bag of Oddball Blend coffee, right? They should buy several bags. It would be really good in iced coffee, too. Yeah. Get the Bold Bean Blend now at oddballpodcast.com. While you're at it, you can pick up an Oddball insulated coffee mug and tote bag. Oddball comes from WJCT in Jacksonville, Florida, where I, Jessica Palumbo, am the news director. If you haven't checked out WJCT News lately, I invite you to download the WJCT app for the latest local stories. Or if you prefer listening over reading, you can do that too by downloading the NPR One app. It's a stream of national and local stories that learns your preferences. It's pretty cool. Or come poke around WJCT.org. Okay, now let's get back to Oddball. If you've been listening to this and at any point Googled Bet Sphere, you've probably read about the ball's amazing properties. Most of them come from James Harder, a civil and hydraulic engineer from Berkeley. He was also a member of the National Enquirer's Blue Ribbon UFO panel, along with Heineck and Sprinkle, which investigated the ball. The ball seems to have some remarkable properties. Again, this is an actor saying Harder's paraphrased and actual quotes about the ball. More than a year and a half after the panel he was a part of examined the Betts ball, Harder was quoted in an article headlined, Experts Disagree on Florida Sphere Origin. While Heineck said publicly the ball wasn't remarkable, his colleague Harder said, I found the thing to be in perfect balance in a way I would not have expected it to be. The results of the x-rays taken on the thing were not what you'd expect them to be either. Will you elaborate on that? No, no, no. Okay. There hasn't been enough research done on the thing to declare it to be man-made or otherwise. And I can't understand why Dr. Heineck's so interested in the thing if he thinks it isn't UFO-related. Mrs. Betts told me that Dr. Heineck noticed the dead trees around the area where the sphere was found 
but I think it would be really interesting to discover if he is about to admit to those trees. Okay, so Harder is saying there were dead trees in the area where the ball was found, which was not in any other articles I read about the sphere, and Jerry did not mention that in her interview with Ron, the radio host. But Heineck addressed this in the article, saying he did see the dead trees. So I'm going to go with it's true. But he doesn't think it's possible to relate dead trees to the finding of the ball. This article was published a year and a half after Harder studied it, along with Heineck and other colleagues in New Orleans. And now Jerry Betts is saying she wants Harder to examine it again, because he has more experience in the field of engineering than Heineck, and she wants to make an agreement to have a member of her family present at the research sessions. Seems like now she doesn't trust anyone else to be alone with it. But here's where things get weirder. Harder's alleged comments get printed in a giant book I ordered, the Encyclopedia of UFOs, different than Clark's multi-volume UFO encyclopedia. This book is by a guy named Ronald Story, and there's a section on the Beth Sphere, and even a photo of Terry, Jerry's son who found the sphere, holding the ball with a National Enquirer blue ribbon panel banner behind him. He's 21, a kid with a plaid shirt, wavy long hair, big wireframe glasses, and a mustache— basically a hipster today. The book published in 1980 says Harder found the ball exhibits four magnetic poles, which lines up with most news reports that the ball either had three or four of them. And that's not weird, according to FSU professor Humayun. But the book says Harder claims the x-ray shows those little balls inside the sphere are more dense than the shell. So in other words, not just pieces of the shell that fell in during manufacturing, something else, a different material. Thus, a substantial portion of the weight is in the internal material, and the shell could be much thinner than a half inch. Can the shell's thickness be debatable? So according to the NICAP report, which looks like it mostly just copies the Navy's report, ultrasonic measurements establish the wall thickness to be a half inch, with a tiny margin of error, within a hundredth of an inch. But if that were true, the ball would actually be about three pounds heavier. I mean, it really depends on like how valid are all these measurements. That's a mechanical engineer who I happen to know really well. He's my brother, Sean. I called him to ask, how big of a deal is this shell discrepancy thing? We're saying it's exactly half an inch, um, but we don't know if anyone's rounding there. Thickness is really important because whenever you're doing a volume calculation, the formula for volume is the radius to the third power. You know, if they're rounding anywhere there, that, that error gets propagated throughout that um, equation, and it could be off by a larger amount. So if anyone's off on any of their measurements, then that could totally mess up you know, our estimation. Also, the report said an emission spectrographic analysis was used to determine the outside of the ball was stainless steel. The other thing we don't know is how close the steel is to the specification. So basically, if that steel is exactly grade 431 steel, we know what the density should be. But if it's the mixture is off a little bit or if there's anything that's been done to it to change the chemical composition, then it might not be the same as the density that's published. Remember, this report is from a nonprofit UFO research group. It happens to cite more details from the Navy than I'd seen anywhere else, but it's not the official Navy report, and we don't have the details of that metal analysis, for instance. We don't know exactly how accurate those measurements are, so it's, uh, it's not something I would be super concerned about. So maybe Harder has something, or maybe there was just some rounding in the report. But Harder is also quoted saying the little balls inside the sphere are more dense than the shell. They do look a lot darker than the rest of the ball. But does this x-ray actually prove that? Radiologist Diane Johnson again. It's difficult because it's a two-dimensional um, representation of a three-dimensional structure, but it does look like those are separate and potentially higher in density, although 
you can't really say that for sure because you they could be thicker made of the same material you know for example they could be a solid stainless steel little metal ball versus a stainless steel shell um, you just it's hard to say just based on that one image I asked FSU professor Humayun the same question. So would it be wrong for people to assume that just in making the sphere, that little pieces of the shell, they just kind of fell down? Yeah, those don't look like, they look like little spheres. They don't, they look quite deliberate in there. They don't look like broken fragments of the shell. So this makes me entertain Harder's comments much more than I had previously. I think we can safely say the ball is hollow and the shell is stainless steel 431, but the inside, it's still kind of a mystery. However, that's not all this book said Harder found. It says he spoke before the International UFO Congress in 1977, basically a convention for UFO people. That's about three years after the sphere was found. Dr. Harder presented his truly astounding recent findings on the sphere. So this is essentially confirming he did re-examine the ball like he said he wanted to in an article a year and a half before. He asserted, based on the x-rays, the two internal spheres are made of elements far heavier than anything known to science. The Beth sphere contains elements having atomic numbers higher than 140. The heaviest element yet produced in any atomic reactor here on Earth has an atomic number of 105. If one were to drill into the sphere, perhaps one of the masses would go critical and explode like an atomic bomb. While Hynek says the ball is nothing special, Harder is apparently here saying this is like nothing we've seen on Earth. But my issue is this book seems to be the source for these claims. Like, I can't find another article or book where he's making such extreme declarations about the ball. I did a little more digging and actually found a book titled Proceedings of the First International UFO Congress, 1977, same year. Harder is in this book a lot. He gave a talk on the hard evidence for UFOs, no mention of the Betts ball. He's part of a panel discussion along with Leo Sprinkle, who you heard earlier, and Hynek about if people who have more than one UFO experience should be taken seriously. But there's no mention of the speech about the sphere that the UFO Encyclopedia excerpt says he gave at the conference. Granted, this book is just the best of lectures. One of the editors of the book, though, was Jerry Clark, the UFO expert. He attended the conference. I have no memory of hearing anything like that. You know, I since you know I was involved in the organization of it when that conference was going on, I was running around a lot. But I did um, participate in some of the sub conferences where people who were speaking there got together and batted around ideas and. Okay. Now it's possible, you know, that that he said something, and but I just, you know, I just don't remember. And this, this whole episode came and went without making much of an impression on anybody because I don't even I don't see it in the literature. There is no mention of the Beth Sphere in his giant encyclopedia. And I spent an enormous amount of time reading. UFO literature, including official documents and old UFO publications from the 50s and 60s, and as many books as I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. Now, if 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 it had really been what Harder says it would it was, it certainly would have made an impression. 
and it would be something like proof of some kind of, you know, otherworldly visitations. It clearly wasn't that, whatever it was. So I kind of just want to get a feel for, you know, who Harder was and sort of how different he was from Heineck. You know, there's a certain kind of person you you run into if you're around this field and you meet people and and um, you know people who have impressive professional and educational credentials. And you're glad that they've decided to look into this question because we certainly need that kind of expertise. We're trying to understand what's going on. But sometimes you find that people who in their ordinary lives are capable scientists and professionals kind of throw that all out the window when they look at UFOs. It's as if they have some kind of metaphysical itch they want to scratch with UFOs, and then they just get, and they're just other crazy people, and there's no shortage of them as it is. And that was sort of my, you know, don't quote me, because this is just based upon things I've picked up over the years, but I was never impressed with Harder. So Clark thought Harder wasn't skeptical enough, but he also admits he did not know him personally. Leo Sprinkle, the member of the Blue Ribbon panel we talked to earlier, he knew Harder a bit better. Dr. Jim Harder, he was interested in the physical evidence. There are some cases that had even photographs of flying saucers or whatever. Sprinkle himself studied what some would say were the more fringe UFO claims, the stuff organizations like NICAP distanced themselves from, including people who claimed to have had contact with extraterrestrials. Remember, he's a psychologist, and he's really interested in people. How did you perceive Harder as a scientist looking into these claims? Yeah, I perceived him as very bright, very capable, uh, emphasizing the physical science aspect uh, more than the social science aspect, whereas I think uh, Heineck did both. But I appreciated uh, Jim Harder's approach because he was uh, careful in trying to uh, determine what is, quote, normal uh, physical science and what is uh, unusual uh, physical aspects of uh, flying saucers and the people. So two totally different opinions. Now I want to play a part of Heineck's radio interview that stuck out to me. The host asks him about the death of a man who used to write about UFOs, and Heineck immediately seems to shoot down a rumor. I want to ask you, what do you think of, uh, uh, is it Frank Edwards? Yes. Does does he hold weight in your opinion, that author? He's uh, he's been deceased. I understand that. Uh, under mysterious um, circumstance. No heart attacks. Oh, oh! Someone told me otherwise. No, I don't think so. To me, right now, Heineck seems like someone who doesn't buy into conspiracies, even as someone who spent his later life looking into UFOs. But something else stood out to me when I was researching all this. I mentioned to Leo Sprinkle, Heineck's former colleague on the National Enquirer panel, that Heineck said this about the ball's odd movements. I think we account for that largely as uh, uh, a little bit of wishful thinking. And that's pretty opposite of what the family said was happening with the ball and at the conference. I'm just trying to sort through those two sides. Uh, that's strange because usually I perceived uh, Alan Heineck as being not only sympathetic, but... Uh, uh, willing to discuss um, with with the witness or the families uh, 
what they were experiencing. Mm-hmm. And that makes it sound like he was covering, like there was something about it that he didn't want to talk about. I found Sprinkle's comment about Heineck really eerie. It was just kind of offhanded and he didn't want to elaborate. But I think something happened, either with Harder or Heineck. Maybe it was that Harder believed the ball was something more remarkable than what everyone else had told Jerry Betts, and she started believing that too. But maybe it was something else. Here's my case. Jerry is quoted about a half a year after her son found the sphere, saying tests show it's most likely man-made, but that she still wants to know what it is. But then there's the later article in which Harder is arguing that there's no proof it's man-made. And Jerry is quoted saying this. I believe there's evidence we have something from a UFO on our hands. There are circumstances surrounding the object that make me feel it has some properties that our scientists aren't familiar with. She was of the opinion the Navy was hiding something from the public for security reasons. They know more than they're saying, she said. So what happened? In the same later article, Jerry says Heineck came to Florida and spent the day with her family the year before, and that Heineck pleaded to take it with him, but she refused. Heineck doesn't confirm in the article if he actually did go to the family's home. Nan, the magazine editor, had a little more insight. This is what Jerry told her happened around that period of time. The sphere was never the same. Hmm. And Jerry thinks that he swapped it out with the dummy. Do you know, I recently read an article um, with Heineck's son. He was talking about how they had all this stuff in their house, like a library of artifacts or whatever. And he's like, yeah, we had this metal ball in our house that I found out later on was from some Florida UFO case. Yeah. So are you, are you insinuating, Lindsay, that my father was like <laughs> some kind of UFO kleptomaniac? This is Oddball, a production made possible by supporters of WJCT Public Media, with additional support from Bold Bean Coffee Roasters. If you like this series, please consider supporting us with a $20 donation. And check out our shop at oddballpodcast.com. That's where you can order the special Oddball coffee from Bold Bean. Oddball is produced by me, Lindsay Kilbride, with editing by Jessica Palumbo. The music is by Matthew Wardell and by Al Peep, the show's intern. And a special thanks to our actors in this episode, my co-workers Kat Davis, Jessica Palumbo, and David Luckin.